Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. And this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition our, your every good desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, there are lots of words here. Um, there's lots of, um, a lot of things we can talk about here. Lord, I pray that as we get more into these 12 verses of your word, that we will hear these words and not just hear them with our ears and kind of move on with our lives, but we'll hear them and they will um, take root in us and they will change us. So God, I pray that just whatever small percentage we learn more about you and ourselves and our world today, that that wouldn't leave us and that come Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, that we'd be able to put some of these things into practice. So God, I pray that you will mold us more into your image and we don't have the power ourselves. We ask for your spirit to come and to do that in us, Lord. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we got this, um, this new series here. We're going to learn how, God, how talking to God changes us and changes our world. Um, prayer, it's a big thing. It's a thing every single religion has is some kind of prayer. And people who don't have religion also pray. Whenever you feel a sense of gratitude and you don't know who to direct that to or when you um, are calling out for help and there's nobody around, like who, who are we talking to? We're, it's, a, it's an attempt at prayer. Uh, prayer might be something that you picture as, you know, that's just like the things that truly devout people do. They pray. Like if you're a monk, that's what you do. But if you're a normal person, that's not what you do. So what is the deal with prayer Really, before we talk about the how to do it, we're going to talk about why to pray. Because if you've ever tried to pray, it's not fun, like 99% of the time. And that's a pastor speaking. Like, you're allowed to say, prayer, actually, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult. It's not always fun. It may not be the most enjoyable thing in the world to start with. Now, some people love it. And I feel like there's like, we're all supposed to pray. But I feel like there can be like a special gifting for some people who just love to pray. And some of those people are part of Redeemer. And I wish I could be like that, but I'm not like that. So if you are, that's amazing. Uh, you have, you know, you're a foot or you're a step forward from everybody else. But why are we going to talk about prayer? Now, first, I mean, if you know me at all, you know I love a good Venn diagram, so I could not pass up the opportunity to talk about this. Um, I mean, it just looks pretty, doesn't it? Can we just marvel at the overlapping circles? Okay, three things. One is to enjoy God more. The second is to love other people better. And the third is to grow in more of our own spiritual self-awareness. The more we pray, the more we grow our relationship with God, which means the more we enjoy who he is, the more we enjoy our, our life with him. The more we pray for other people, the more those prayers themselves are actually effective for people because God actually works through prayer, but also the more we're changed to love other people better. 
So it's not just more quantity, it's a better quality of love. And lastly, the more we pray, the more we realize how lame we really are. We're like, wow, I'm praying for this? I'm, for this person? I'm not like this myself. Oh my gosh, I'm so far away. Like, or we, we, we might pray over something about um, God's nature and God's character. Like, oh, God is so amazing. I am so not amazing. And so we have a little bit more of a, of a mirror that reflects who we really are. Now, regardless of where you are with Jesus, everyone would probably say, growing in self-awareness, that can't hurt. That's got to be a good thing. Um, everyone's going to say, loving people better and more, that's, surely that's a good thing. And if you're a Christian, enjoying your relationship with the God that you say you have a relationship with, surely that's a good thing. Now, what we're also doing in this series, we're going to closely connect what we do on Sundays in our missional communities. Normally, our missional communities are what we call like our small groups that meet throughout the week. Normally, our missional communities are kind of on their own paths, doing their own things. And a few times, we, we kind of do things all together. This is one of those few times. So what we're talking about on Sunday um, isn't exactly what we're talking about at missional communities, but they kind of connect. So Sundays, we'll talk about the content, get more into the Bible, and our missional communities throughout the week, we'll talk about the kind of the how are we doing with actually praying kind of honest conversations. So if you um, want to be involved in an MC uh, uh, or an are not yet, uh, this is your chance to do that. We've called it the practical prayer course. It's another six weeks. You can get all, you don't have to be in an MC to get all the information. You can just go to this website, get all the information yourself. But here's the thing, we can't learn how to do these things by ourselves. We need to be around other people. I need people to tell me, here's where you need to grow, or here's where I've seen growth in you. Everybody needs that. Um, if you want to learn more about missional communities or prayer or the practical prayer course, you can always just email me, and we can, we can sort all that out. Okay. Now, here's what's true of everyone in this room. If your prayer life was stronger, your life would be more enjoyable, generally, regardless of whatever circumstances that you're in. If your prayer life was stronger, your life would be more enjoyable. If your prayer life is rich and full, you have a reservoir of resilience that can withstand difficult circumstances. It may not change every single circumstance, but it's going to allow you to get through it in a way that's different. And if your prayer life is active and honest, and not religious, if it's active and honest, you will actually love people better. It's kind of simple. So for all of us, if we were to change one small thing in our lives that would affect lots of other things, it's probably our prayer lives. It's like a disproportionate amount of input versus output. Like we're getting a lot more out of it than what we put into it because it changes our entire life. And the reason for this being true isn't because of our effort or even thinking about methods of prayer or anything like that. It's because when we pray, we become more present to the ever-present God. God is always present. He's always with us. But we don't often act like it. We don't often think through that in that way. We don't often feel that. The more we pray, the more we become present to the ever-present God. When we live in the reality of God being with us, which is what prayer helps us to do, when we live in that reality, because that's reality, that changes every aspect of our lives for the better. Of course it would, because it's more of God at work. And not because of us, and really not even because of prayer itself, but because of Him, because of God, who's working through us. See, prayer, it might feel like a burden, it might feel like a labor, but it really is not. It's a gift. We get to talk to the creator of the universe. What? That's ridiculous when you think about it. Why should any of us, I'm sure you guys are awesome, why should any of you feel like you can talk to the creator of the universe? That's, that's crazy. I, but it ha there it is. It's, it's reality. So we're going to look at two things here in these first 12 verses. Uh, the roots of our prayers, like where do they come from, 
and then the shoots of our prayers. So where, does, where do those roots, where ought they lead to? Uh, so the, the church of Thessalonica, Paul gives us some foundations of prayers, and we also get a glimpse uh, of fun, some of the few things of what those roots, of the, what those foundations can lead to. So let's first look, if you have your Bible, um, just keep it open to that, that chapter. We're going to look at the roots of our prayers first. And this is mostly in verses 3 and 4. It's the first time I've ever done that. Thankfully, I know, I'm sorry, I'm just so excited. Um, worse has been dropped in this room, I'm sure. So, and you might have smelled it on your way in, I don't know. <laughs> it was a function room for a pub after all. All right, verses three and four. Um, I'll just read it real quick. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance of faith and all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So Paul is thanking God for some very specific things that are happening at this, this little church at Thessalonica. Uh, and also he's writing to that church at Thessalonica. And Paul isn't doing this just kind of in private, you know, though he was doing that as well. But he's telling that church, here's, why I'm, here's what I'm thanking God for you about. Um, maybe just a quick side note. Don't ever be stingy with encouraging other people. I know that's you know, not a typical British value. It's a very American thing. You're doing awesome, tiger. Um, you don't have to say tiger. You don't have to say awesome even. Uh, but it, it, encouraging people, people, do you ever feel like in your life you get too much encouragement? No, nobody ever does. So don't, yeah, just don't hold back with that, especially if you're, especially if you're a Christian. That's kind of what we're called to do. Don't also, don't try and paint it with that fake Christian thing of, oh, I didn't want them to, you know, get a big head or get prideful. Like, man, just tell them they're doing a good job and let's move on with that. Okay, that's enough on that. Right. So three specific areas we're going to talk about here um, with what are the roots of our prayers. The first one here is faith. Faith is the specific knowledge about God. And that's what it talks about in verse 3. We, always, we, um, we ought to thank God for, God for you because of your faith. It's growing more and more. Their knowledge about the faith is growing more and more. The primary way we grow in faith is through understanding this, understanding the Bible. And the primary way we actually understand the Bible is through each other. God wants us to learn the Bible in community. He's made us that way because he's that way. He exists as a trinity. And this is more than just reading or just studying. This is understanding. And you can't understand if you don't read or if you don't study. But if it ends with read and study, you're not really doing theology. You're not really getting into the faith. When you understand it, it's like it becomes part of you. That's what growing in faith really is. So those are important. Growing in faith keeps us on the right track. Because if we do what we want to do with our own spiritual lives, we're going to be all over the place. Like if we make up the rules, it's going to be insane. And we, if you remember when we went through the, um, the series on Judges, which is probably like quite a bit of time ago, that was the problem with Israel, who are God's people. They're doing what was right in their own eyes, and they end up like dismembering people, killing people, like all sorts of horrible things. Not that I think you guys are going to dismember each other, but still, you get the idea. So uh, growing in faith, which means growing in knowledge of the Bible, keeps us on the right path. And the more we understand about the faith, the more we're caught up in the wonder of who God is. Because the more we really get this, the more we aren't like self-righteous, but the more we're overcome with wonder that this is who God is. This is who we get to know. It's an amazing thing to experience. So there's growing faith. Uh, there's also growing love. When Paul, when he, when he's praying to God about this church, he thanks God for their growth and love for each other. He says, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. That's an inclusive love. 
And the early church, like our churches today, would be quite diverse. Different class backgrounds, different cultures, different customs. Being in a church led by Jesus means welcoming the people that in, that the, the way that Jesus did. Often that made very religious people really angry because of how, how open Jesus was with a welcome for people. Uh, it was often super controversial. Uh, and being able to freely love and be loved by others is kind of um, the way that Jesus wants us to live. And this happens in really simple ways. That sounds like a big, massive thing, and I guess it is. But it happens over conversations, happens over meals. Like if, if all our relationships only happen in the span of like an hour here, then we're not really being the church. We're just kind of tolerating each other because we're not really like, you know, our lives aren't rubbing up against each other. It happens over like small tasks to help each other out. Stacked over time, those kind of relationships, those kind of like thick relationships, they have a resilience that you can't find anywhere else because it's not based on a political idea or it's not based on like... Um, customs or your, your shared interests or something like that. It's an identity thing. Now, faith and love um, are always connected in the Bible. You cannot have one without another. So faith without love would be soulless knowledge. Love without faith is kind of a naive optimism. And we need to really have both. Neither is really good for us. Neither is really good for other people if we live it out that way. Both have to do with our own hearts and just as much with other people. That's why being present is an important part of our faith. Just being there. You don't really, if, if we were just present for each other all the time, that is like 90% of the job. Every now and then you might have to do something. But really just being with people is, is a massive thing. That's why we talk about missional communities. That's why we talk about like Sundays the way we do. Um, this is where we grow. This is the context of where we grow in faith and love. They are our roots. So we have love and we have faith. But then Paul also talks about um, something else uh, starting in verse 4. It says, therefore, among God's churches... We boast, this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, Paul's like crew of missionaries. They're boasting to other churches about how well this church in Thessalonica is doing, about what? Uh, boasting about their perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials they're enduring. So they were resilient. They had perseverance despite the hardships they were going through. And this third one that Paul brings up, I feel like is particularly timely for us as a culture. And we may, may not be persecuted in the same way, the church at Thessalonica has been persecuted. But surely, all of us have come through hardships. All of us have conflicts. And probably for everybody, your faith has, has um, brought some of those conflicts as well. In fact, I was, we were just talking with someone, a uh, missional community meeting uh, last week, of someone who was their best friend, who now just seems really angry at them for a reason they couldn't even un like understand. They didn't, didn't really get. And she felt it was because of like, her faith. Like that's a very, it's a common experience that people have. Paul is telling other churches how this little church has gone through difficulty. And in Paul's first letter to this church, this is the second letter he's written to this church, in the first letter, um, he, he talks about how they believed in the midst of heavy religious persecution. It was common in this city to be openly hostile towards Christians. That was, that's not true of all the places of where um, churches began, started to get planted. But Paul here is talking very specifically about suffering for your faith. Not just suffering in general, but suffering specifically for your faith. Now everyone, as I said, will probably experience some level of suffering. Um, and hopefully it's not going to be as intense as it was for Thessalonica. But when that happens, when we experience that, we, we, we hear it might be inevitable. When we do, we get a feeling of it's, it's just not fair. Because it's not. It's just not just. Because it's not just. We aren't initially content when we suffer, 
right? It's kind of the point of suffering. You feel like something's off, especially when we suffer for a worthy cause. Like, I'm just trying to be a good person. I'm just trying to be a Christian. I'm just trying to, you know, if you've ever done something good for somebody and gotten flack for it, you're like, why did I even do that thing? You know, you feel like you're, you, um, like, why, the question of, it was pointless. But that feeling of discontent, that's the seedbed of prayer. We're going to talk about discontent in two or three weeks from now, of actually praying through discontent. But whenever we suffer, we all go through that discontent feeling, and that's the seedbed for prayer, or it can be. If it's not, it's going to well up in this and become something difficult and horrible. Really, when we suffer, we find out what we're made of, what kind of stuff we're made of. When we're put to a test, and when being a Christian means suffering for our faith, we, we get a mirror. And in that mirror, sometimes we see a really ugly image, like, oh. And sometimes we see, ah, oh, not too bad, given my age. Um, you know, sometimes we see good things, sometimes bad things. Suffering brings out who we really are. So we ask God to change us, and we get those ugly mirror images, and then we thank God for his change when that ugly image maybe isn't so ugly as it was before. The only hope we can have to endure anything, any kind of suffering, is a life marked by faith, by love, and understanding of the Bible, uh, love for other people, and this kind of resilience. If we don't have these things, the first time there's any kind of slight hint of a problem, our house of cards will fall over. We'll be like, what in the world? I don't understand anything anymore. And it just kind of, everything's up in the air. One other thing that Paul brings up, and this is mostly in the verses five through 10 kind of section, is our experience of injustice and God's view of ultimate justice. There's some really difficult words in here, right? To be resilient means, it requires a trust that God is going to be in charge of stuff that God has to be a part of, which allows us, frees us, to just be in charge of the stuff that we get to be in charge of. That can be wildly freeing. All the problems of the world do not have to be solved by me or by you. Now, it doesn't mean we cannot, that we're not, you know, called to do things. It's not like we're just called to be lazy and not do anything. But ultimately, who's in charge of it all? It's really, it's God, and that's another reason why we pray. Now, hopefully we're active in, in working towards justice in this world and talking about Jesus with people who don't know him yet and all those kind of things because that's an injustice of people not hearing about Jesus. Um, but ultimately, as I was talking with Paul and Anne-Marie, ultimately it's really God who's in charge. And, he's, and that's why we pray. We, we do our work and we pray that God will use the, uh, our small work in order for his big glory. So those are the roots of our prayers. We have faith, we have love, we have resilience. So if those are the roots of our prayers, like what does that lead to? What might those shoots be? Those like kind of beginnings of, of, uh, of our other prayers. Um, as in, what kind of stuff do we pray for? Like what are the words even that we use? Well, that's really the rest of the series. The rest of the five weeks, we'll be talking about all the other things we can be praying for. But here's where Paul goes in this particular passage. And these are the last two verses here, verses 11 and 12, the shoots of our prayers. Um, Paul is saying that um, he and his crew, they're constantly praying for this church. Um, and actually, he says, uh, we constantly pray for you. Now, I know, uh, hopefully you've heard this before, and this is a, a rant I will use probably every single time. When you read you, you think it's just talking about you, but that is not you. It's you all. It's a second person plural you. If, I wish Paul grew up in the contemporary American South, because then he'd say y'all. He'd say, uh, we constantly pray for y'all. 
you know, that God make y'all worthy of his calling. Actually, I don't wish he ever did that, but it would be helpful for us to know um, because it can be a you or they can be a you. He's talking to a church, right? He's already told them to the church of the Thessalonians and God. So when he's saying you, this is a people, a group of people all together. This isn't even Paul's home church and he's constantly praying for them. So we should pray for other churches also. I mean, we should also pray for our own church. If this is your church, you need to pray for it because God knows we need it. Uh, and who else is going to do it if you aren't going to do it? Which is one of the reasons why we have, um, and I'll talk about this in a bit, you found it on your, um, on your seats, one of the reasons why we have these things, which we'll chat about in one moment. So uh, if, this is, if this is supposed to be prayers for us as a church, what are some things that we can pray for a Redeemer then? Um, Paul says that we would be worthy of God's calling and that our good desires will see the light of day. That we'll be worthy of God's calling and that our good desires will see the light of day. So let's talk that first section here, that we would be worthy of God's calling. This is nothing less than a life of meaning for every human. The highest meaning we can have is being a part of God's church, being fully alive through what God is doing. To pursue a life of meaning instead of a life of comfort, that is radical. That is radical. Paul is praying in order that God would make y'all worthy of his calling, of God's calling. Are you worthy of God's calling? That sounds intense. Through Jesus, yeah, you are. You are. And Paul brings this idea of being worthy up in, in verse 5 as well. So, so what does this mean? Look, we all want to live a worthy life. A worthy life is a meaningful life. A life that's not flimsy. A life that's not weightless. A, not, a life that will actually withstand one gust of wind every now and then. There's a heft to it. This is a life that matters. A life that truly matters. A life of consequence. What you do actually matters not only to you, but to the other people who you love around you. I think everybody here probably wants a life like that. No, regardless of how we actually pursue it or don't pursue it, you know, that's different for all of us. And we're all in a, in a, in a world of growing more towards that. But no one would say, ah, life of meaning, ah, it's probably overrated. I'm fine for lack of meaning. Thanks very much. No one's going to say that. We all want it, but who's willing to pursue it? The cheap version of this is fame, which is kind of what we all pursue. Even if we're not, you know, famous, we all pursue our little versions of fame. Fame creates a culture of celebrity that fakes worth. That's what fame is, is fake worth. Now, celebrities can live worthy lives as much as anyone else, but not through being famous. That's not going to get them anything. When we try and pick up ourselves, that kernel of that below all, is all that good stuff that we actually want to live a worthy life. So when we try and act prideful or say things that are kind of truthful but not really in order to make ourselves look better, as you know, bad as that is, really below that, that's a good desire to want to live life, a life that matters, to live a life that has meaning, of consequence. And it's when people get to my age and start freaking out. They have, oh, my life has not been meaningful at all. And so I'm going to buy a cool car or get a new wife or whatever the things might be to, you know, get some kind of crazy hobby, which I have maybe plenty of those. Um, but that's why midlife crises are so cliche. By the time you're able to look back at your first half of your life, like, wow, what was I doing? I better make meaning quickly. And so we buy the thing that we think is going to give us meaning. But of course, it's never going to do that. But behind every midlife crisis or whatever thing like that, there's always that good desire to have a life of consequence behind it. It's just pursued in the wrong way. So we, by ourselves, are unable to have a worthy life. We just can't do it. We, we, 
we try to, but we get in all sorts of, all sorts of trouble. And then, that's not even the whole verse even, um, to have a life worthy of God's calling. Well, what, what is God's calling? Our God, God's calling for every single person is to enjoy him with your whole life. That means your hearts change. That means our minds change. That means our actions of what we do, all that changes. We all want to construct a meaningful life. God is the only one who can give it. And he does. He loves to. He's not withholding that. It's a gift that he will lavish upon everybody. And notice here, Paul doesn't say, I'm praying to God that you guys will sort yourselves out and you're going to live a life of meaning. You just got to work harder. No, he's saying, I'm praying that God will give you this so you can like, basically live into it. A life of meaning does not come first by us, but through God. A life, a life of meaning does not come first by you, but by God through you. So if you want to pursue a life of meaning over comfort, which is a really difficult and impossible thing to do by ourselves, what we have to do is we have to press into God because he's the one who gives, that, gives us what we need. So we have a life of meaning. We also have good desires fulfilled. We have these good desires within us, and through God's work, they actually see the light of day. That's what happens in um, verse 11. Uh, God make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power, he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. So Paul is saying, by God's power, the good desires that are in you, that God has put in you, all those good desires already there, they're kind of like potential. They become real, they become actual through his power. The problem for us outside of God working is those good desires that we all have, they will get choked out by the cares of the world if we just leave it as they are. If you're a Christian and you want a rich prayer life where you enjoy God, but then life happens, right? There are times when we get a feeling of conviction like, I should really be doing this or I should really not be doing this. Uh, maybe even today, you're like, oh man, I just I haven't thought about that in a while. Huh. Or oh, I haven't thought about that. Maybe that's something I should get involved in. Then what we often do is we often kind of let that feeling come and let that feeling go. And then we get back to normal life. It was, I, it just reminded me, I, um, I had um, at seminary, which is like Bible college, grad school, I had a professor who was a very, it was probably the smartest person I've ever met and one of the hum, most humble, humblest people I've ever met. Uh, he was teaching about something and an arrogant first-year seminary student, as all first-year seminary students are, they, um, this professor happened to be overweight and he said, um, Dr. Frame, uh, what is your theology of exercise? And everybody in the class was like, what did he just, I cannot believe he just said that. Complete, I, don't think the, I don't think he even knew he was being arrogant. That's how arrogant he was. Um, but uh, Dr. Frame, a loving man, he, if he wanted to shame or like dominate anybody, he could do whatever he wanted basically. But he was a very loving man, um, teaching at the seminary for nothing where he could be basically you know, doing whatever he wants. Uh, he said, well, when I get that feeling, I think about it, I let the feeling pass, and I get back to what I was doing. He kind of made a joke of it and everyone kind of laughed and I was just like, I cannot believe First of all, how horrible this person is and how godly this man is. But I think that's how all of us are when we feel like, oh, I should really be doing that thing. You're like, hmm, how long is this feeling going to last? Five minutes? Yeah, okay. You got five minutes? Cool. And then you go back to Netflix or whatever the thing is. That's how it is for everybody. Everybody. It's not just, you know, everybody is in the same boat with that together. God's power in a Christian, though, brings out those good desires that we all uniquely have. We all have different ones. And that's a beautiful thing. This is what unity and diversity looks like together. What a loving thing 
for God to do for us, to allow us to live that way. What a loving thing. Why would he do that? And yet he does. So when we aren't surrendering to God, if we aren't surrendering to him and his love, there's a double tragedy. We are less, and the people who we love who are going to be affected by those good things are less as well. We, we miss out, other people miss out, because those good desires are meant to see the light of day. They're meant for people. But through God, he loves to see us fully alive, and through him working in our lives, it's exactly what he does. I think really what Paul is doing, he's praising the church, the, the church here, but I think also he, he's encouraging them in a very kind of loving uh, and uh, kind of pastoral way to become spiritual adults. He's saying you, just, you need to become a spiritual adult. Spiritual, and that's what we need in Redeemer. That's what every church needs, spiritual adults. Spiritual adults can feed themselves and they can feed other people, just like an adult with a baby. They love other people well because they've understood how much God loves them. And because of this great love they, they already have, that love will never be shaken. So spiritual adults are able to live generously. They're able to have that resilience when, when difficult things come. You can't live generously without sacrificing, and you're not going to sacrifice if you don't believe God actually loves you more than that. And I'm just talking about money. Like generosity is something far more than money. It's our time. It's our relational um, energy that we have. It's our boldness with other people. Spiritual adults are relationally bold and they live by the Spirit and they want other people to live by the Spirit as well. So it works our way into our speech. So in love and in patience, they can speak this great news of how good God is into other people's lives in a way that they're going to understand and get because they've listened to these other people's lives. Redeemer needs spiritual adults. Trollton needs spiritual adults. Manchester needs spiritual adults. And when we pray in Manchester as in heaven, as we do often, this is what we're praying for. And he will answer, and he will invite you into that answer. He'll say, yeah, this is part of what you're going to be a part of. You're going to grow into this, being, growing more into spiritual adulthood. But let's take a, um, a step back for a second here. What it, like, why? Why do any of this? Um, what's the deal here? Paul goes there in verse 12. He says, we pray this so, ah, here's the reason for all this. Why are, we, why are you praying this all the time, Paul? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. Jesus died so that he would be glorified in y'all and y'all would be glorified in him. That's, that's why he died. When Jesus is glorified in us, we are humans fully alive, who we were really meant to be. We are living out of our true selves, not our false selves. We get to be who we really are. Irenaeus, who's a church father, he's writing in the second century, which is not much longer from where Paul is actually writing this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, has this great quote. It says, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Only a loving God does stuff like this. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't care about us being fully alive. He wouldn't care about a good desire seeing the light of day and us getting enjoyment from that. He would just say, get to work, do the things, or not be even active or present at all. But a God who loves us will work over a long time with an insane amount of patience for what reason? So that we get to experience more of him, more of his love, and that we get to be found more in him. Now, not to exact work from us, not to make money off us, not to get anything out of it except for his glory to be made known. And when God's glory is on display, that is good news 
for everyone. And this is why we do what we do on Sundays, in missional communities, and in all the other areas of Redeemer. If you come in or watch on Sundays and are not yet part of a missional community, this is maybe a chance to try one out. That's the main context we use for discovering and working out what it means to have a meaningful life and to have our good desires here light of day. We can't do, there's too many people here to do this. We're a small church. This is far too big to actually do this thing in real life. We need to break it down a little bit more. Now, what we do, hopefully it does happen on Sundays, but it's not really, you know, this, isn't, this is a place where we get to worship together and learn together. We're not really living our actual normal lives out together. And that's what we do in missional communities. Now, if you're part of an MC and not yet participating on Sundays, you may not be hearing this message unless you're tuning in online, um, but it would be so good for you to come along and join in on what we do on Sundays, to be actually present here with us. Sundays are where we get that big picture, where we get to um, sing in a bigger group, actually able to sing today, where we get to pray in the y'all sense of the church uh, and hear the larger vision of what God is doing um, through Redeemer. Now, if all of this is new, the idea of church being more than an hour meeting on a Sunday, or even just the idea of church, like full stop, that's like a new weird thing. Note that what we only um, briefly talked about this morning is really impossible to do unless we're part of a church together, unless we're actually living our life together. As Colin has learned multiple times through kids' ministry and tells me often, you know, Dad, church is a people, not a building. I love it. He tells me, like, all the time. Uh, maybe there was like a stage where they were learning that more often maybe, or maybe he's, he thinks that I get it now because I think he stopped telling me as often uh, but it's true the church it's a, it's the, even by definition it's a gathering of people and look in the Bible we humans are called sheep and I don't know much about farming or sheeping or whatever you call a sheep farmer I don't know Kathleen might even know better <laughs> you think I would know that because of the Bible and stuff but uh, no, that's good. Shepherd. <laughs> yes, good. Shepherd apparently is what they're called. Also, that's a biblical term. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before. Uh, yep, shame on me for, yep, being dumb. Um, but what we know about sheep is it's not really good for them to be alone. They die by themselves. Second time today. I'm just super excited. All sorts of things happening this morning. Now, for those who aren't new, You've been around. You've been serving. You're involved. This isn't a you should do more kind of thing, right? Most people in Redeemer. Uh, it's not like you probably literally can't do more, uh, most people in Redeemer. But the thing is, in all the things we're doing, and all the things that we're trying to, you know, are we squeezing all the joy that we can from it? Or are we doing it just because we know we're on road and we need to do it, or we're ticking a box, whatever the thing is? Now, some days it's going to feel like that, and that's, that's okay. Like, we're not always going to be 100% amazing all the time. But it would be really sad to me if serving didn't mean joy, uh, and not serving meant joy. Like, as we serve, we get to do that for other people, and that ought to, ought to give us a joy for other people. That doesn't mean the things you do are going to be joyful. Scrubbing toilets, not really joyful. Uh, you know, being with kids, not always joyful. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. That's how kids are. Uh, coming here early, maybe you like a lion on a Sunday and you didn't get it that day. That's not always joyful. But getting to do something you wouldn't do otherwise for people who are going to benefit from it that is joyful for the Christian because we get to love other people in a way that's different than if we were by ourselves. Now, regardless of where you are or aren't with Jesus or with Redeemer or whatever, we want everyone to enjoy more of God, more in, of his relationship. And we know one big way that happens is through a rich prayer life, which is why we've created this thing. And this, I don't know how it's not soaked up here yet. Um, you have them on there. Um, I'm just gonna walk through this thing. 
So these will mostly be, up, be coming up in your missional communities. You guys will talk about this every single week. What are you guys praying for? How's that going? Um, how can we help kind of questions? Um, there's three, it's called 3-3 three, three prayer because it's basically three sections and three things to pray. So the first section is three people who don't know Jesus yet for you to actually write their name down and to pray for them. Some, even something of writing their name down adds a level of responsibility, which is a good thing. Um, the second thing is three people who do know Jesus, maybe in Redeemer, people who you can pray for to encourage them because we all need prayer. And on the back, the third thing is a kind of larger vision for our church as a whole, for Redeemer, for our city as a whole, for Manchester, and then for um, whoever, what else you, whatever else you want to put in there. Maybe it's a prayer for the persecuted church. Maybe it's a missionary that you have in some other part of the world, um, soon to be the Griffiths who are going. Um, so, the, but if, we were to, if you were to pray for one of these, these three things, once a day, that would take you maybe five minutes. I mean... If you're really holy and a good prayer, you know, maybe it takes you longer. And that's, that's great. That's good. But if, even if you only give five minutes to pray for three people who don't know Jesus, for example, that, I'm telling you, that's going to change your week. That's going to change your life. It, it doesn't take very much time. And if, if we in Redeemer, if we all join in on this, that will change our church for the better. It doesn't mean things are going to be easier. It might mean things will be more difficult in some ways. But this is how God has called us to live. And this... Hopefully, having something written down, if you leave it by like your bedside table or something, gives, rightly gives you the responsibility you should have for praying for people in your life. Because if you aren't praying for somebody, chances are no one is. So who are those people in your life that you can be praying for? And hopefully, if they're in Redeemer, other people are praying for them. But uh, just to um, yeah, put that on. So take that with you. If you don't have one yet, on Mitchell Community Leaders, um, I'll, I'll give you some as well to hand out to people who weren't able to be here today. Now, um, one thing I do know is this is a great idea by itself, um, but you can't really do this on your own. You might feel good about it in a week, like, yeah, I did it every single day this week. And the next week, you're like, yeah, I did it four times this week. And then two weeks from now, like, where is that thing? Like, it's completely gone. Um, so you need people who are going to be asking you, hey, how's it going? Like, honestly, how's it going? Tell me how it's going. How can I help? Maybe should I, like, text you in the morning? It's like, oh, don't forget to pray. Whatever the thing is, um, just make it actually practical. So now we're at the end of the message. But there's something that we haven't really talked about. And maybe something that doesn't match up. Because we know that we are not perfect. We know we don't have it all together. Even if we won't share that with others, we'll pretend like we have it all together. God knows this better than any single one of us. God knows that we are self-absorbed. God knows that we are self-centered. God knows that we are self-orientated. And by ourselves, when we get the first hint of a possible hardship in front of us, not even when we're experiencing, but a possible hardship, we know we're prone to just kind of turn and run the other way. God knows that more than you do. We know that by ourselves, that we can't live a life of consequence, and that if we're honest, far more good desires get choked out than see the light of day. We know this. So how do these people here in this book get to a point where they're living very different lives? How can we, knowing where we are, get to a point where we're going to live a very different kind of life? These people's lives, they sound amazing. It sounds fulfilling. Doesn't sound easy, but it does sound good. How did they get there? Did they just try harder? Was that their ticket? No, that's not what happened. The answer is in the greeting of the letter, the kind of stuff that we read and easily pass over. In verse 2, specifically says this, Grace and peace to you, the church, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace comes from the Father and comes from Jesus. Grace comes from the Father, comes from Jesus. Does not come from here doesn't even come from here, as great as you guys are. It comes from the Father. And that's why we pray 
to the Father. And this actually kind of, that theme continues throughout the letter. Why would Paul thank God for their growth in grace? Shouldn't they say, you guys are doing great, keep it up? He does say that, but he says, I thank God that you guys are doing great, keep it up. Why would Paul um, say, I'm boasting about how you persevere through difficult things? And say, man, you guys are trying so hard. He does say that, but it's in the context of God has given them the power to be able to live that way. Only, how does uh, Paul talk about how they're going to live meaningful lives? Through God and his power, not through them and their power. How is all this to be accomplished? The end in verse 12, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think of a relationship with God, we bring our need to the table. That's what we get to bring to this relationship. He brings his grace. While we're stuck in our own ways, while we're self-focused, our good desires are being choked out, we're missing out on living a meaningful life, the Father sent the Son to live, to die, to resurrect. And the only way we can participate in any of this, the only way we can even talk to God in any of this is because Jesus' death becomes our death. and That means our self-obsession dies. That identity is it's not really who we are anymore, that we pretend like it sometimes. It's as dead as he was on the cross. And in Jesus' new life, he gives that to us too. He sends his spirit to those who follow him, and that enables us to live in the way that we've talked about today. There's no way we can do this without the Holy Spirit being sent into our lives, enabling us to live this way. Only through Jesus do we get grace and peace. Only through Jesus can we grow in love and, and faith and resilience. Only through Jesus can we have a life of meaning and get those good desires that he planted in us, get them out. It's important that we look back and remember this, and this is why we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper each week so that we would be formed by it, that it'd be something that we would remember, even outside of a Sunday, to have the member of, of, of eating and as we sing. Uh, this is something for those who follow Jesus. So if you don't follow Jesus, we're really glad that you're here. But we don't, we're not here to create empty religious people, so don't do this unless you actually believe this. Uh, and, or if you haven't yet believed in Jesus, and this is your first time to join in with us, that's great, you're more than welcome to join. You don't have to be a member of Redeemer. I mean, Christians should be a member of some church somewhere. We don't have to be a member of our church in particular. This is for anyone who has a relationship with Jesus. And so when the music starts playing in a bit, uh, feel free to take on your own and ask the Spirit to reveal to you What's next? Those two simple, that, that question, those two simple words can be really crazy, the answer to that. What next, Lord? What next, Holy Spirit? And as we take, remember that the bread, the wafer, symbolizes Christ's body that was broken for us. So we will never experience death the way that Jesus did. We will all die, but not in the way that Jesus did. Jesus has removed our spiritual death from us. We'll never experience that ever. And that's what the wafer stands for. The cup stands for Jesus' blood that was poured out for us. So that, that means he also, he doesn't um, want us to pour out our blood for him. He's already done that. He wants us to live more in the way that he's called us to. Sometimes that's a sacrifice. Sometimes it feels like our blood's being poured out, but only Jesus' blood was actually poured out in a way that it matters for us. So that's what we get to enjoy um, as we sing. And so uh, I'll pray. Michael will come up and sing a few songs, and we'll be, we'll be able to sing together. Um, if you don't want to be a part of it, that's completely fine. You can stay in the back. It's well-ventilated back there, or you can go in the corridor. Um, but I will give thanks for the bread and the cup and pray over what we just learned. Jesus, we thank you that you are um, good to us. We thank you that you love us more than really we deserve. And really, probably, if we, if we think about it for any length of time, more than we imagine. I, don't think our, I think our imaginations don't even reach to the, the depths of the love that you have for us, the heights of the love that you have for us. 
So as we take the bread and the cup, Jesus, I pray that we would be rightly encouraged to know that through you, we are on the right track of love, of faith, of resilience, that we're on the right track of having a life of consequence, a right track of being able to love other people well. All for your glory, Lord.